real sermon, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, you should have a handout. It should say something like our journey to holiness. And uh, we're going to be talking about walking today, walking the talk, I guess. Not talking the walk, but walking the talk. And uh, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians for a while now. We've seen that they're a model church. They did a lot of things right. But that doesn't mean Paul isn't going to give them some kind of instructions how to do it better, right? In this scripture, he says, what you're doing, you're doing great. Just do it more and more. <laughs> and he says that a lot in this letter. So I, I was reading, I think, in the book of Colossians. Uh, and even, uh, I believe, one of the verses that we read this morning from Ephesians, it talked about uh, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so we're going to be talking about that quite a bit today and uh, what it means to walk in holiness. And so we hope that you enjoy it. So uh, if, you have your, if you have your Bible, the scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you want to follow along, there should be one in the pew. And so let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word in honor of him and his word. And uh, 12 verses, not too bad, but there's still a lot in here. So uh, we'll read it slow and then we'll go back and we'll talk about it. Paul says, finally then, brother, speaking to the Thessalonica church, he said, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from, from us how you ought to walk, and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning the brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have here today to look at this scripture and to kind of unpack it and see what it means for us, how we are to live, uh, how we can best please use. Those are all important things that we need to know. You are our God who is present with us all the time. And all the time we need to consider how we are to please you. That's why the scripture says that we are to pray constantly and pray without ceasing. Uh, we need to know your will. We need to know what pleases you so that we can do that so that outsiders can know about your love and your grace and your mercy. And so we pray that you would help us in this. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the scripture talks quite a bit about walking. First thing that came to my mind are those walkers who race. Have you ever seen the ones who race and they've got the real 
real funny kind of walk. But of course, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about physical talking. He's talk walking. He's talking about our way of life and how that has changed after we have come to know Christ. Amen? Let's, let's just take a test. Yes or no? After we come to know Christ, our life is going to change. Yes, yes it is going to change. You do not meet a train on the railroad tracks and your course not change. It's going to change. And when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and truly accept Him as your Lord and Savior, your life is going to change. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. He's very urgent about this in these first few verses when he talks about urging them in the Lord Jesus uh, that the, what they have received, they ought to be walking that out and they ought to be pleasing God. And so our new way of life is to please God and to walk the way that we ought to walk. Jesus says this as well as Paul in 1 John 2, 6, he says, uh, actually this is John, not John, or not Jesus, but John. He says, whoever says he abides in him or whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so he's talking about not a physical kind of walk, but he's talking about our way of life, the path that we are on in this life. It needs to change. It needs to be like the walk that Jesus walked. And I hope you got that from that verse. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in whose way are we to walk the same way? Jesus, right? We're to walk in the same way as Jesus. And of course, this has to do with our sanctification. We're going to talk about that word in just a little bit. But these are instructions that they have received and so we're going to break this down and talk about it. What does this walk look like? Why do we need to walk in a certain way? And uh, we'll learn much about that today, hopefully. So why do we need to walk in a certain way? Why do we need to be on this certain path? Well, first thing is that it is how we ought to walk, right? It's how we were meant to walk. So if you're filling out your blanks, this is how we were meant to to walk, the walk that Christ walked on this earth. Here we see how we were originally to designed to live our lives. There, there was an original design God had for us, right? And we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and uh, when Adam and Eve were there, they were created in such a way that they were uh, created in the image of God. They were to represent God faithfully to the other people. And this was so that God might be glorified in their lives. And of course, we know that uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin and they were no longer able to walk in a way that they ought to walk. And so they were to walk in such as a way to please God. That's our second point there. But they could not do that any longer. They couldn't do it because of their fallen nature uh, that kept them from pleasing God. And you might say, well... Before I was a Christian, I tried to please God. Uh, and there are some people who believe that, that they were trying to please God. But basically, the Bible says, really, you're just trying to please yourself. You're trying to please the God that you have made up in your own mind. You're not trying to please the, the Bible, uh, the God of the Bible. And so uh, our fallen nature prevents us 
from seeing God. We can go to a lot of different places. We go to Romans chapter 3, where it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that no one uh, tries to please God, no one is seeking after God. Uh, that's because of our fallen nature. However, the good news is that we can be saved, amen? We can be saved through what Christ has done for us on the cross. And when we are saved, our desire and our ability through the Holy Spirit is to please God. That's one of the, the hallmarks of this road, this path that we are on, is that when we encounter Christ and His Holy Spirit comes to live within us, then we now have a desire to please God, and we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to please God. Prior to this, prior to our salvation, we had no power to live the godly life. We had no power to please God. So praise God, right? Praise God for Jesus who gives us that power to do that. And then just real quickly, another reason why we are to walk this walk is that we are to walk properly before outsiders. Did you catch that? In some of our closing verses here today, it says that we are to walk properly before outsiders. Now, who would the outsiders be? Anyone? Unbelievers, right? They're the unbelievers. They're the ones outside of the church who have never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. What he's saying is that the reason why this is important that we walk in the same way Jesus walked is that this is a witness to them that knowing Jesus really does make a difference. Okay, it's not just a matter of us talking about Jesus, but we're actually walking the life. And we'll talk a little bit more of that in a little bit. So what does this walk look like? Well, I think we're given some clues in the text here today, and maybe we could go to other places that would give us more information. But first of all, we are to walk in holiness, right in holiness in your blank. When I go to verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So in that verse, we are given something that I, I would think that every one of us would jump up in joy, is to know exactly what God's will is. <laughs> how many people have come to me, how many people have come to you and say, I'm really struggling with a career decision. You know, what career should I go into? What, what do you think it would be God's will for my life and what career? And that is, that is an important decision. But there are things within the Word of God that we know 100% sure that this is God's will for your life. And it says it right here. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And so we have to do a little investigation. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification is another word of saying holiness. So we can put in here, for this is the will of God, your holiness. We are to walk in holiness. And holiness means to be separate. It means to be apart, not from each other, but it means to be apart from sin, apart from this world, which is has its mind set against God, right? So we're not saying everyone in the world we're supposed to separate from, but there is this there is this paradigm. Do you know I know that may be a word that you don't use a lot, but it's a belief system about where you live. There's this paradigm that the world says that there's no God, 
uh, there's no accountability. You might as well live for everything that you can get up for on this earth because once you die, it's going to go away. So live it up on this earth. That's a worldview or a paradigm shift uh, that many people have. And uh, that is different than what God wants us to have. God wants us to know that we have a purpose, that there is a creator, that our life really does make a difference. He wants us to know there is an eternity uh, for which we are going to live somewhere, either heaven or in hell. And so we better know what it means to walk in holiness. It means to be separate from sin, and it means to be separated unto God. Here's, a, here's another definition, and, and this really all goes together, but this is from the Holman New Testament commentary. The sanctification is the process in salvation by which God conforms the believer's life and character to the life and character of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Amen? So it's, it's, God, it's God taking a brand new believer, uh, putting him in an incubator called the church, and then helping that person grow into maturity into a person who is like Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. That's why you become a disciple. You become a disciple so that you become, become like the teacher and teach other people everything that he knows. And so it seems as though in this particular church that there is a big obstacle for them in becoming sanctified or holy, and that's sexual immorality. And so he's saying, come apart from that. Come separate from that. It may be common in, in your area, because this is primarily a Gentile area. Remember Thessalonica is in in Greece, what's now today Greece, Macedonia area, and mostly primarily Gentiles in this area. And it even says in our scripture here today that we're not to be passionate, have passions of love, love, lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so this is an area where it's common for there to be sexual immorality. And he says, I want to call you apart and to be separate from that. So we, we hear things like this. We hear, we hear them from Jesus as well. But Jesus says in John chapter 17, he says in this prayer that he's praying to God for his disciples, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. We see here that the disciples were called to Jesus, but to be separate from the world. And so the world doesn't understand them, just like they didn't understand Jesus. Jesus said, they, they're going to hate you because you, they hated me too. They didn't, they didn't receive my message in the beginning. They didn't like my message. They turned against me, and they crucified me, and they are going to turn against you as well. Then he goes on and he says, I... He says of God, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, I realize I can't, I'm, I can't at this time take these disciples out of the world. I'm going to leave them here for a purpose. I'm going to leave them here to, be, to represent me and to tell others about how they can be saved through what I've done on the cross. I can't take them out of the world 
but you can help me keep them from the evil one. In other words, keep the disciples safe. Keep them uh, in the body of Christ. Then he goes on and says this about the disciples. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says, sanctify them, which sounds like sanctification, right? And it is. It's, it's the process by which we go and become more and more like Jesus Christ. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we sanctified? By God's word, right? By God's word. We read God's word. We obey God's word. Our, our nature is changed. We become more and more like Christ. And Paul, in Romans, he says it this, in a different way. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this process of sanctification is don't become like the world. Don't follow after the world and their materialism, their greed, their lust after the flesh. Don't follow them. Don't be conformed to that, but read the word of God and let it transform your mind so that you no longer want those things. You see that there is a superior love because we, do, we all do what we love, right? We do what we love. If we love sexual immorality, we're going to do that. If we love greed, then we might be tempted to seal, steal or at the company change the books a little bit so that we make more. But if we love Christ supremely, we are going to follow Christ and be like him. And that's exactly what he wants. Uh, he wants our sanctification. It's more important than, our, than just about anything else. I heard an illustration by David Platt one time. Most of you have heard the name David Platt. He used to be the IMB director and then he moved on to McLean Bible Church and he came from a church in Alabama but when he was at the in the church at Alabama he had a situation arise. The church was prospering, there were a lot of people coming, found out that one of the leaders in the church had a moral failing. Some type of a moral failing. He never said what it was, he just said this was something that if it got out would change the church in a negative way. And so he's thinking, man, he said, I, what am I going to do with this? Uh, how do we contain this or how do we deal with this? And then finally God told him basically that your concern needs to be for this person. He says, this person's sanctification is more important than your success. Did you get that? And that's what they ended up doing. They ended up helping this person, restoring this person to the, to the faith, not abandoning him, but helping him because God told him this person and this church's sanctification is more important than the numbers of people come to your church. And it's the same way in our lives. Our, our sanctification, our becoming like Christ, our Growing more and more holy is the most and one of the most important things in our life. But there was this big problem of sexual immorality standing in the way. And so they had to deal with this. Why is sexual immorality so wrong in the first place? 
Well, the reason that Paul talks about it repeatedly in, in this book and the book of 1 Corinthians and, and many, many of his books is that marriage is a picture to the world of the faithfulness of Christ to his bride, the church. Let me say that again because I muffed it a little bit. Marriage is a world of the faithfulness of Christ to his bride, the church. This, this whole relationship that we are based upon in Christ is based upon a covenant decision that we and God both have made and we should be faithful to that. Unfaithfulness in a marriage mars that picture and gives outsiders, remember the outsiders, the people who don't know Christ, who are not saved, it gives them the wrong impression of Christian marriage and ultimately of God himself. God is a covenant-keeping God and is faithful to his promises. When he makes a covenant with us, he is always going to be there for us, right? We call that eternal security. We will stray sometimes. We will be disobedient at times. But even then, he is working within us to bring us always back to him. And so... Paul says to the Thessalonians here, he says, don't be like those who do not even know God. Don't be like the Gentiles who in the passion of their lust act just like there is no God. We shouldn't do that ever, right? And I'm afraid that in America and maybe in our own personal lives, this is maybe one of the sins that is at the top is that just in our everyday life, our everyday decisions, we ignore God. We don't, we don't take his wisdom into account. We don't ask him about major decisions to make in our life. We should not be like those who do not know God. We do know God. We've been commanded to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. He should be on the tip of our tongue every decision we make. God, what would you have me do in this situation? We are in the new covenant, right? We are in the new covenant purchased by the blood of Christ. And it's as though we were married to Christ. Even in the Old Testament, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel through Moses was like a marriage. Let me just read you a little bit about both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is pretty amazing. This is way back in the book of Jeremiah, uh, several hundred years before the time of Christ, probably six or seven hundred. And there's this prophecy that's given, and, and you've heard it before because we read it very often sometimes at the Lord's Supper. Uh, but it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. Remember God and the Exodus taking them out of the land of Egypt, taking him, taking the people of Israel to himself. And then they go to Mount Sinai and there's a big uh, celebration. He goes up to get the, the law from God. Uh, he brought them by the hand out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declared the Lord. He considered that as a marriage relationship. Then he goes on, he said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one know his teach his neighbor, and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the covenant that Jesus says when, when they have the Last Supper, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. You know, this is my body which is broken for you. This is the blood which was shed for you. And so, the reason sexual immorality is so emphasized here, and even though times have passed, this still doesn't change, right? <laughs> sexual immorality, which is sex outside of a biblical marriage, has always been wrong. But there's a remedy for it, right? <laughs> you know, abortion is wrong. Murder is wrong. Sexual immorality is wrong. But there's a remedy for that, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's his death on the cross. So probably, I know this may be a strange statement, but probably all of us in here at some time or another have been guilty of sexual immorality. So we don't point fingers at others because what did Jesus say if you even look at a woman with lust? You have committed adultery with her in your heart, right? Goes the same way for women. If you look at lust, you know, someone with lust, uh, you've committed adultery with her in your heart, so you've committed sexual immorality. And so we look at this and we say, how in the world can we be obedient to this? We realize the scripture that God has not called us to impurity as, but holiness. That's what he's done here in the scripture. He doesn't call us to impurity but holiness. Uh, and he says even if we disregard this command to abstain from sexual immorality, we are disregarding God who has given us the Holy Spirit. So we can't just disregard the command to not engage in sexual immorality. We must take it seriously. We must strive toward this purity that he wants us to have. And I think the secret is in that very same verse I just read. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> he has given us the Holy Spirit. That means we have a helper. We have a power source, which is greater than anyone, even Satan, right? Holy Spirit is God. He is greater than Satan. Satan may tempt us, but there's no temptation that has been given to us that God, if we turn toward him, cannot help us out of. So whether it's sexual immorality or anger or any other kind of lust or greed or uh, binge eating or anything like that, there's no power that his power is not greater. And so this Holy Spirit is given to us and gives us the power to abstain from sexual immorality. So yes, will we ever be fully sanctified in this lifetime? I don't believe so. I don't believe we'll ever be perfect. But it does say, pursue holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. So how do, how do you recon, reconcile those verses? We know that we're human. We know that we're not perfect. We know that we're going to continue to sin. 
we are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue that, that perfection that seems to be unattainable to us. But ultimately, think about this. Pursue Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the same thing as pursuing holiness. Pursuing Jesus Christ is a lot more attainable than pursuing some, uh, some concept that's just out there, holiness. Follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes. That's what a shepherd does, right? That's the difference between a sheep pen. The Old Testament is a picture of a sheep pen, and there are laws that are put there to keep us bound within a certain area. And then Jesus comes along as a shepherd, and the sheep pen disappears. All we do is follow the shepherd all day long. He is our shepherd. And so, yes, we are to walk in holiness. We do that by following the shepherd. We are sanctified by his word as we study his word and not merely listen to it, but do it. We will be conformed to the image of Christ. So we are to walk in holiness. The next two are going to be shorter. We're to walk in love. And I think he specifically puts this here for a reason, because lust is not love, amen? Sexual immorality is not love. It is not love. It is not love for the person. It's not love for yourself. It's not the best thing for you. It's not the best thing for them. But we are to walk in love. And we have been taught by God how to love one another. And you might say, well, how in the world have we been taught by God? Well, we have the Holy Spirit, right? He teaches us what love is about. We have Jesus hanging on a cross. That shows us what love is like, that he's willing to sacrifice himself for the benefit of others. And we have God's sacrifice that he made, giving his only son. So we have ample evidence of what love is. But there's one other place, and many other places I'm sure, but uh, there's one other place I wanted to read about how we have been taught by God's love, and it's in the scripture, of course. So sit back and listen to this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. You ever heard a noisy gong or clanging cymbal? We don't want to be that, right? We want to, we want to speak in love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I can do all those things, and I can do them for improper reasons. I can do them for all sorts of reasons, but God says these must be done out of a love for me and a love for others. He goes on, verse 3, he says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, these will pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But love will never pass away. Amen? Love will never pass away. So we are to walk in love, and that would be a good example for you, if for all of us, just to take home and, and read that. 
Finally, we are to walk before outsiders, properly before outsiders. Uh, do our actions match up with our message is basically what we're trying to say here. He says and gives us several different things that we should do to walk properly before outsiders. Uh, we're to aspire to live quiet lives. Sounds good, right? I, I like a quiet life. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean not to share Christ. It doesn't mean not to be vocal about your faith. But it does mean to not be unnecessarily stirring up trouble, but to live a quiet life. Do not unnecessarily stir up trouble. Then we are also to mind our own affairs. And I just put down here, do not judge others, but judge yourself. Right? Before you go to others, talk to them about their affairs. Don't be a hypocrite. Look at your own life. Judge yourself before you judge others. To work with your hands. This may seem a little bit out of place uh, concerning the other two, but uh, Paul wanted them working with their hands. It seems as though in Thessalonica there was this attitude that the Lord is coming or the Lord either is coming or has already come, and therefore we're just going to settle back and not work. You know, we're just going to wait for him to come. He's coming soon or he has come. We're just going to sit back and not work. And this is developed more in Second Thessalonians. But Paul says, no, don't be dependent on someone else. Do not be dependent on someone else. If you at all cannot... If you can all do this, do not be dependent on someone else. That kind of flies in the face of a lot of things we hear today, right? So we understand people need help at various times. But to the best that we can, do not be dependent on others. Apparently some Christians at Thessalonica were not working, as I said, but depending upon the more wealthy to support them as they wait for the coming of Christ. And so we have three things. We are to walk toward holiness. We are to walk in love. We are to walk properly before outsiders. And he says, do this more and more. <laughs> right? So sometimes you feel like, I've already got enough on my, I've already got enough on my plate. How am I supposed to do more and more? But this is the command that he gives us. Let me, let me just suggest something that really just came to my mind is to learn to rest in Christ. Learn what it means to rest in Christ. And what that means is that He paid the debt fully for our salvation. Amen? And so we have no need to be working in order to gain God's favor. He has already favored us with Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean go out and work, doesn't mean not be involved in ministry. It means we have time for ministry. We have time to truly serve God from an attitude of love, and we can use all of our time serving God. And so we can do more and more as we separate ourselves from the things of the world, and maybe some of the things that we've been living for, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a Maybe it's even a, work, a, a place of work where we spend uh, overtime and we don't necessarily have to do that, but we love our job. Maybe those things are things that need to be kind of backed up so that you can spend more time doing the work of God. Just a suggestion. But we are to 
walk in holiness, we are to walk in love, and we are to walk properly before outsiders. And we do that so that they can see a difference in our lives, right? Why do you give to a church? Why do you give up to 10% or maybe more to your church? To someone out there that seems foolish. To someone that's their hobby. Some, to someone that's their bass boat. Why would you give up your bass boat in order to give to the church? And that gives you an opportunity because people are worth loving, right? <laughs> it's, it's worth that. If I, can, if I can give money to the church and the, and the gospel message go out, then that is a good expenditure of my money. So I've got, probably gone on too long, but remember these three things. We are to walk as the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means we are to walk in holiness. Uh, we are not to tolerate sexual immorality. We are to walk in love, and we are to walk properly before outsiders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for our teaching this morning and uh, what is brought to our mind and so many things that we could work on. I just pray that maybe there's one thing that you've impressed upon people in our congregation today, different things, but one thing that really stood out to any particular person that they could take today and say, I'm going to work on this this week, and I'm going to uh, work on my thought life. I'm going to uh, work on... Uh, doing things better in my life for your glory. And that they would decide to do that this week. Uh, because it's not all about what we believe, it's about how we put that into action as well. And so Lord, I pray that you would do your work today. If there's someone here who needs Christ, it's, it's just a prayer away. A prayer, simple prayer that can say, uh, you have my heart today, Lord. I give you my heart today. I want to walk in your ways. I want to follow you. I pray there may be some who need to join the church or are interested in joining the church that they would ask about that, seek out more information about what it means. Most of all, we pray and hope that you've been glorified today during this time of response that your Holy Spirit would be followed and obeyed. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.